Hello and welcome back to the Red Sector GP podcast. I'm your host, Bruno GP, and as I would normally say, joined as always by my co-host, Alisa, today I am joined with a special guest. So this week we have our content creator from the other side of the pond, Renita Vermeulen. Renita, how are you? And give everybody a bit of a rundown on who you are, what you do, and yeah, introduce yourself. Awesome. Well, hi, Bano. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. And yes, hello, everybody. I'm Renita. I'm a content creator on TikTok and YouTube. I'm posting about MotoGP and a little bit more about my life that I've been with with racing um, and some technical facts. But for those of you who don't know, my surname's Vermeulen. And if you are a fan of MotoGP from the years gone by, you would know my brother, Chris Vermeulen, who used to race for Suzuki back in the early 2000s, um, along with World Superbike and World Supersport before then. So I kind of unintentionally got thrown into motorcycle racing. I never raced myself, but I kind of just had to become a fan and learned about it along the way. And as I was learning about it growing up, you know, I got to travel to some amazing races and, and experience the paddock. When I was seven, you know, I got to experience World Supersport for the first time. When my brother got a, a ride with Castro Honda and back then Colin Edwards was on the superbike. So kind of got thrust into this world and just fell in love with it. And as I kept growing up and getting older and following my brother's career, I learned what it was like to be an athlete in or a rider in MotoGP and understanding that, but then also um, speaking with the technicians and the crew chiefs and learning about the technical side of MotoGP, then seeing everything as a whole just made me become a fan even more. So here I am today just posting content with the ultimate goal to eventually try and get in as a, a TV a reporter or pit lane host, something like that in MotoGP. I'd love to have another Vermeulen in the paddock. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to mention if you weren't, I was going to address the elephant in the room because as I said to you, I, I Chris was like a cult hero of mine growing up because when I watched him as a kid win in Le Mans in the rain, I was like, that guy is invincible. So like he became a cult hero in the UK. And obviously he you moved to the UK with Chris. So you kind of have you're kind of like an adopted Brit, if you like. You're still Aussie, but you're an adopted Brit, aren't you? Definitely. Sometimes the accent comes out and then other times I just sound fully Australian. So it depends on the mood, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, no, I um it's it's very, very difficult when it comes to um recording with people on the other side of the, the other side of the world because obviously we have how, how many hours are we between now i think is it is it 10 or 11 something like that Ooh, um, it was a bit tricky for us to try and figure out a time to connect because uh, clearly <laughs> we're both not that good at figuring out the time difference but we got it working let me just have a look now london yeah. is nine hours behind myself nine hours. in australia there you go so obviously We've been wanting to do this for, we mentioned it quite a while ago, didn't we? I think on like maybe TikTok or whatever it was, I can't remember. Um, but we, we finally got round to doing it. We've now completed the trio, if you like. Not all, almost, because we do need to do a collaboration with yourself and Solomon, who will definitely be listening to this and realise he's had a mention on this podcast now, I think maybe five episodes in a row. I don't know how he's managed to wiggle his way onto the Renita Vermeulen podcast episode. But um, yeah, no, it's um, it's really good to have you on. And we'll start off with a plug. Where can people find you on socials? And we'll finish off later with a plug as well. 
Yeah, so I am Renita Vermeulen on everything on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. I know it's kind of difficult to spell because it's almost all the letters of the alphabet, but um, R-E-N-I-T-A, Vermeulen, and you can find me there mostly posting about MotoGP, my favorite subject. <laughs> and what was it? Let's start off with like the, we spoke about it a little bit before recording, but what was it that kind of, what was the, the first step for you switching between like you said, like almost a, you didn't have a choice of being a fan of MotoGP, but what, what was the step between being in that stage and going, you know what, I'm going to start content creating and kind of, because obviously it's not a five minute job. You have to sort of commit to it and be on it. So what, what, what was it for you that made you want to make that step? And how did you go about that? So I always just had such a, uh, in a love and I loved watching people like Susie Perry who's obviously the OG you know pit lane reporter I've always been so fascinated by her and what she does and I know that MotoGP isn't always all glitz and glamour but I love the fact that they can make it look like that um, I love when they get the nitty-gritty, get down with um, the riders and ask the difficult questions. But then there's also this big show that they put on. And I've just been fascinated by that my my whole entire life. And once my brother retired from racing, it was so nice to have him back home in Australia. And we kind of all just settled down with, with life and um, being a family again. And then as everything like progressed on, I just still had this desire in me to go, oh, I want to be one of those storytellers. I want to be what I want to be Susie Perry. Right. And I stumbled across TikTok. Actually, there's a, a girl who does it with regards to Formula One. And she really, really inspired me. And I thought, okay, let's see if there's a way that we can combine modern day technology with TikTok and Instagram and MotoGP, which I still feel like MotoGP is predominantly the older generation. It's not so much of the younger ones like me and yourself, I know. So, you know, when you go to the tracks, there's, there's still people in their 40s and 50s and 60s going and you don't see many of the teenagers and the 20 and 30 year olds like you do in Formula One. And I thought if people could see how awesome MotoGP is drive to survive for formula one i feel has really brought that younger generation in so if i can just show people look MotoGP is actually as cool if not in my opinion way cooler because the racing is so much more intense then that is a way just to get more fans on board and see what i'm so passionate about and at the same time it's great for me because i'm practicing all these skills that hopefully i can eventually use one day and and turn this into a, a career for myself so obviously i'm just trying to plug the sport at the same time but then i'm also working on myself so it's been a fun journey and i'm really enjoying it yeah susie perry is i mean what a name susie is the best isn't she she i i in terms of how long I've been watching GP for, she has just been kind of associated with the paddock, even if she's not there as such. I mean, at the minute, bless her, she's she's off on like sick leave or something. I'm not entirely sure what's going on, but she's she's having a bit of time away, I believe, from the sport um, for a few rounds. And even still, everybody every weekend on the on the TNT responses like, "Where's Susie? What's Susie doing?" Like she she is such a household name with MotoGP and. It's so nice to hear that Susie is an inspiration for you. And I'm more than certain for a lot of other young women out there because she has set such a benchmark in 
well, not just in being a present a presenter in MotoGP, but she just she she's more than that in 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 the UK especially. So yeah, Susie's a fantastic name to drop and. With that, I have realized actually that usually with guests, quite early on, we do a quickfire question uh, section. So if you're all well and good with that, I'm going to fire a few questions over so people um, get a bit like, you know, get to know you a little bit. And maybe there's no bias here with regards to MotoGP and a particular brother of yours. So um, I'll fire these at you. And I say the quickfire, as we mentioned before, when you go on other podcasts and stuff like that, it's quite easy to just ramble on. You ramble on however much you want, Renita. Don't worry about anybody listening to this because they they, they understand and I ramble on every week. So um, they're probably used to that by now. Um, so we'll get into that. So if you're ready, we'll, we'll start off. And I'm just going to pick these at random, really, and just sort of go away with the list. I'm not going to go from top to bottom. So um, some of these answer themselves. Uh, but I'm going to go start off two-stroke or four-stroke. No, oh, did you ask that question? Hard, starting um, off hard here. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to say two-stroke. <laughs> the smell—it's like my childhood oh, yes, wrapped up in a bottle. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like if again. you could bottle that up and sell it, like Ooh, oh you, man, you I reckon that'd go off the shelves. That that is a business opportunity waiting to happen. That would be maybe, maybe then we could start our own production company in MoGP if we could sell that. Um, maybe that we're heading in the wrong sell. direction. We need yeah, to maybe come we out are. with like what was it at a twelve two stroke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely Yankee Candle two stroke. Um, so next is inline four or V four. Remember, remember your your affiliation yeah. here. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, V four. <laughs> really, I thought you were going to say inline four with the uh, with the Suzuki. No, I'm joking. I know. Okay. I was thinking that, but I'm like, well, yeah. Let's be yeah, honest yeah. here. Inline fours are kind of dominating this season, aren't they? Oh, if we're talking performance, yeah, hundred percent V four. Yes, <laughs> that's not a question. Um, favorite era in MotoGP. Oh, come on. I have to say, what year was my brother racing? 2006 to 2009. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's actually Josh, who, funnily enough, I bring Josh up, has actually moved to Australia recently. He now is based in Perth. Um, Josh's favorite era is exactly that. He loved the um, late 2000s, kind of mid 2000s era. So you and Josh are. You're on the same page with that one. Um, favorite class in MotoGP, whether that be currently or whether that be in the past. Maybe you loved the old one two fives or. Oh my god! I was literally just about to say that the one two fives. I loved them. I mean, the Moto three are still pretty gnarly, but one two fives. Oh, that almost like gives you chills. That the yeah, racing. Yeah, no, I'm the same. The I'm the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one two fives back in the day, uh, the two stroke one two fives, mm -hmm. and if you were sat wherever you were sat on the circuit, hearing them, it, if you were not in the paddock, or even if you were in the paddock and you waited for them to come round again, hearing that like in the background, you were like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, like the <laughs> the feeling of them just all like buzzing over the hill or whatever was fantastic. 
because um, the pack was always so close with each other oh, the whole time saying, yew, yew, yew. yeah yeah it was that was that was good racing i i love the one too far i'm with you on that that is that is the pick yes. um best circuit on the calendar best circuit on the calendar oh i um, wonder what she's gonna pick <laughs> <laughs> Can I like be really cliche and say what every rider says? Phillip Island. Come on. I didn't I didn't it's my expect home track. I didn't expect to. anything else. Yeah. I didn't expect anything but, else. But like we were talking earlier, Magello, right? Magello, yeah. I I mean, I've never been, but oh my god, even Austria, um Spielberg, these tracks that I want to go to that I've never been, but for tracks I've been to, Phillip Island. Yeah, what what tracks have you been to? I mean, again, this could be a long list. It could be, I don't know. What what tracks have On you been the current to that are like, in terms of the ones that you, are your favourites, like that you've been? Um, Laguna Seca, loved it. The corkscrew is so steep. I walked it and it's, the the TV and the cameras, they just don't do it justice, right? They yeah, they never do. It's, it's, it's quite hard, isn't it, to replicate? Yeah. Um... Assen, but the old Assen before they changed it. Um, actually, I have a funny story. Um, back when my brother was racing in World Super Bikes, there was a French rider called Fabien Ferre, and he had a little 50cc pit bike that they used to ride around, and he let me take it around the track, and it was the first time that I got to experience the canvas. I'm talking, guys, I was like nine. <laughs> Like I was a tiny top, right? And I got to experience the canvas and really feel what these tracks are like rather than just looking from the outside. Oh, one of my coolest memories. The best, one of the best days of my life. That is, that is a good list. Laguna Seca, Old Assen and Phillip Island. You've, you've yeah. ticked there across the world as well in three different continents. You've probably picked what, like people would give their left arm to like go to like that three that is a good list wow i mean i could I think... tell you guys a lot more circuits i've been to sepang valencia oh, silverstone sepang. pretty much all of them in england um imola um honestly the list just goes on and on but the ones that i really remember they're those top three yeah no i think my top three is well you've been to two of them but i think my top three would be Magello. Phillip Island, Sepang, they're my three. In terms of like just favorite tracks, they're they're my three. I think um, I have obviously an affiliation with Donington, with it being a local, but um, I don't have the same. What I have with Donington cannot compare with you and Phillip Island. Phillip Island is a tad more exciting than Donington, albeit Donington is a great track. But when you've got the scenery of Phillip Island. And we have an airport next to Donington. It doesn't really have the same effect as the uh, as the South Coast. So that but is. I can't wait for you to come and experience Phillip Island with the oh. the wind and the change of temperature. Like we have this saying that in Victoria, you get four seasons in one day, and when you come to Phillip Island, you you really get to experience that. So yes, it's it looks so nice looking over the water. But honestly, you need to come when you're here next year and you come to Phillip Island. You say when? I, I said <laughs> if if I ever go. If I ever go, I yeah, I'm definitely coming to you in terms of tips and tricks of Phillip Island, so I don't end up getting washed out. Um, favorite circuit that isn't on the calendar. I know you mentioned Laguna Seca. Is that is that your pick, or would there be another one that you're like actually? 
that needs to be back on the calendar. No, I think for me, it's Laguna Zeka. I loved it. Oh, I loved it. And the battles, thinking of the battles, Valentino and Casey into the corkscrew. Oh, my favorite. Yeah, Laguna. What about you? Oh, favorite favorite circuit that's not on the calendar. Does it have to be road safe? <laughs> um, if it's not in terms of safety, I would say spa. If it's, you know, if it has to be applicable to grade A motorbike racing, I would more than likely say, you know what, you're probably going to be quite surprised at this, but I think, oh, no, that's not safe. I would go with Estoril. I loved Estoril. Um, I I also love Suzuka, but it just, yeah, it's not, it's not safe. So Spa and Suzuka are on that level. But in terms of track that I genuinely, I don't know what it is. Estoril, it just, yeah, just ticks a lot of boxes for me. Or Donington, um, again, just because it's a, an affiliated track of mine. But it's, uh, yeah, Estoril needs to be back. It just, it just does. I love it. Um, Favourite corner on the calendar? So not track. Favourite corner on the calendar? Oh, kind of thrown me here. I'm trying to think. They're all like coming to me. Okay, you might have to share your answer with me first before I give you mine. Well, my favourite corner is kind of bled into two, but is the Arabiata corners at Mugello, which if you know the corners by name are the ones around the back that kind of come up the hill the two right-handers, especially the second one. Um, blind corner, just beautiful section. Yeah, that, that would probably be mine. If not, it's hard to disagree with Stoner Corner, isn't it? Stoner Corner is... That is a that is quite literally the most, like, scary but beautiful corner at the same time. I mean, the thought of taking that near on flat out is insane to me. Um so yeah, they they'd probably be maybe a few suggestions, but if there's maybe one at let's say Portimao, Portimao's got some beautiful corners with the with the kind of elevation changes and whatnot. Maybe Portimao corners tick your box. I'm not sure. What what you're thinking? Um, you can't um the first one that came to mind, but then my mind started racing was the final corner at Phillip Island. I did they name it the Jack Miller corner? The Jack Miller corner is what is now, what was, sorry, referred to as the Honda corner. So the oh, corner no, after Stoner it. corner. Come that's on, Renita, this um, is your home track. You've got to know this stuff. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Jack. <laughs> I should have known this. Um, the final corner as they come along the straight, just the sound, you can see them just gradually cranking on the gas. Off they go, building up that speed to come onto the straight. Oh, it's so cool to watch. So final so, yeah, I'm going to say that. Final corner at Phillip Island. Yep. That is, again, you, you, yeah. I mean, if you couldn't pick Phillip Island, this would be a completely different list. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's hard It's hard not. I mean, again, it's probably, in terms of beauty, it's got to be up there, hasn't it? Even if it's not people's favourite track, it's hard to ignore the just the scenery and the setting and everything with every corner's got different character and just, yeah, phenomenal track. And again, I'm not saying this because we have an Australian on the podcast. I'm saying this because it's pure facts. Um, if you could take a corner from a track that is not on the calendar and put it into the calendar, what corner would you pick? I'm on a track that's not in the calendar now. Oh, It could be um, 
Cadwell's Mountain corner. It's not really a corner as such, but you know, you could take you could take that and prop it in the middle of Magello Strait if you wanted to. Oh my God! Could you imagine? Just a huge, just a huge just ramp. A big jump. <laughs> <laughs> a corner that's not on the circuit now. That you you're really asking all the tough questions. Like it it's night time here, Bunner. It gets, it gets you, thinking. you thinking. Um, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to throw this back on you while I try and think because clearly you okay. have an answer. I would take um, if could be graveled around it i don't know the corners by name in at mahama bathurst if you like but i would take the weaved s section the tight bit at the top that closes mm -hmm. up i would take maybe those corners or i would take um 130r at suzuka which is the penultimate penultimate corner the left hander before they get to the chicane yeah i like that one i'm going to take your second answer yeah, that is, um, again, a corner that you imagine just hitting the brakes and then leaning in at God knows what speed and just getting back on the gas before you've even made the apex is like, ugh, that gives me chills. That gives me chills. Um, I like that yeah. one. Yeah, I'm taking an answer for that. Good, good answer. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should ask these questions, Alans. <laughs> um, if you could change... A rule or regulation currently with MotoGP, what would you change? Again, not one that you would have on the tip of your tongue. Maybe you do. But is there anything? Let's change it from rule as such, not just racing. Maybe it could be a rule in and around the paddock or something that, for fun's sake, you could say that everyone has to, I don't know, Peko has to dress up as a clown if you lead the championship. I don't know. Something completely random. <laughs> It could be oh. something completely bizarre. Wow. Well, the first thing I thought of, I'm just going to go like the generic answer is track limit warnings. Oh, they're so boring. And then they make them just like. I just say like make them more just... grass. Yeah, make, exactly. Make, make them grass because then you, then you have a limit. Exactly. Oh, and then people are like, oh, but it's, like not safe. Limit it's limit not safe. Limit. It's like <laughs> we're, we're, we're racing bikes. We're not. You know, we're not pedaling tricycles around. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, track limits would be a good shout. Or maybe um, maybe renew everybody in the FIM stewards box. Just a shout. Just a thought. Yeah. Uh, not not <laughs> that like I have that one lined funny. up or anything. Not that I have that one lined up. That's not, your answer, know. isn't yeah, it? No, no. Just a random pick. Oh, it should, yeah. Oh, I'd love to do something funny like if the championship leader has like a massive point advantage or something they have to do like a running start like we do with like the endurance races just something like completely different that's just like how do they go about that without risking their life running across the grid <laughs> i know i could thought of that i just imagine the them all taking off and, and he's like <laughs> got a weave in between yeah that, i mean we're talking about coming? safety <laughs> But yeah, I like the idea of like Pecco dressing up as a clown. Or you could do like the person who gets like the least points or like the person who like gets the like finishes the least amount of races has to get go on one of those like dunk takes with like ice bath underneath and like everybody <laughs> gets to throw the ball <laughs> land in the ice bath. Show our mayor is sweating profusely right now. <laughs> um it's like, oh my god. 
I was going to say um, this question, but it kind of, well, I mean, it gives a bit of an insight, if you like. You, you don't have to go too far into it if you don't want. But if you weren't involved with MotoGP as a whole, which, again, quite hard with your upbringing to not be involved with it. But if you weren't involved with it, what would you be doing in general? Let's just go with that. So for me, um, one of like my passions that I had when I was younger was music and performance. I've always been that theater kid, the drama kid, the one in front of the camera dancing. So if if I wasn't pursuing this and I was to pursue something else, I think I would continue with the acting and the singing. That's probably something that's deep down inside that raise its little head every now and then. I'm like, yeah, I could get back into that. But MotoGP is my love. So this is what I want to do. Uh, Favourite sports team outside of motorsport? Outside of motorsport? Like, is there even another sport outside of motorsport? <laughs> like, what do maybe people do like, on there? Is it maybe the Matildas? Maybe the Australian women's team? Is it... Um... I don't know. Are Actually, into... they did really well in the World Cup. Yeah, let's go the Matildas. Um, in saying that, though, I did live in Norwich for a little while. So go the Canaries. Go the oh. go the Yellow Canaries for the football. Um... <laughs> I, I don't. And the Wallabies. That. We'll go the, the Wallabies, Wallabies with the yeah. rugby. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Decent, what about decent... you? What's your favorite sports teams? Outside of motorsport, um, yeah. I am somewhat embarrassed to say but at the same time proud to say I am a Derby County fan so I'm from Derbyshire and I represent a fantastic racing team in Yamaha who do so well at the minute um and I no I I'm I'm a I'm a Derby County fan through and through from 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 birth so I'm also suffering in that regard as well um thanks so much for bringing that up Renee <laughs> um so yeah yeah I'm I'm not not really doing well this year in terms of in terms of sport as a whole, but we um, we move on. Um, I have to ask this one: is is it's almost like not left field, but we have we've had these questions that are you know bio related, GP related, maybe sports related, all depending on this. Renita, the lights dim down, the 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 you know it's like millionaire pound million pound question: Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> like, is there even? It's like this. The question you asked before: Is there even any other sports to watch? Is there anything else that we should drink? Believe no. it or not, there are people out there that would say Pepsi, and you know, there's... well, we don't want them on the Red Sector show. So... No, no, no. They, they've. There's a reason that they've not come back. <laughs> there's a reason. Solomon. <laughs> Solomon's like, God damn. Um, Okay, we'll finish off. Last book or song you listened to? Last song I listened to? Oh, I'm really embarrassed to say this. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> do you know what song I'm obsessed with right now? The Dua Lipa song from the Barbie movie. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm so sorry. But it's just worse. like this. There's worse. There's like this. Seventies funky with the dramatic, like cinematic effect, and like do a leaper, and then I can think of Margot Robbie and the dance sequence. There's this whole thing that happens when I listen to it, and I'm just like, oh, this song makes me so happy. But, yeah, okay, I mean, so that's my yeah. answer. Come, your turn. Oh, last song I listened to. You know what? 
whilst we're here, I will get my Spotify up and tell you what the last song I listened to. The last song I listened to was a single by Sam Fender called Hold Out. There you go. Anyone who's bothered to look that one up, go and look it up. That is the last song I listened to. Um, there you go. So definitely your Spotify not the Barbie list. <laughs> I highly recommend the Barbie soundtrack and Sam Fender. Yeah. Do you not know Sam, Sam Fender? Fender? That's an artist for you no. to listen to then. That's an, okay. art, that's an artist. I'll listen to Sam Fender. You listen to the Barbie <laughs> soundtrack and we'll we'll come back and we'll see how we feel about things. I don't know if that's a fair trade, but I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, okay, so moving back on to two wheels, um, far, far and far away from Barbie and Sam Fender. Um, this year as a whole, how have you found 2023? Obviously, we've had sprint races. We've had a, a quite dominant, shall we say, um, to put it lightly, European fold. How have you found 2023? Is there anything, <clears throat> excuse me, is there anything that's come up that kind of highlights 2023 for you? So I really do love the sprint races. I feel that it's giving the riders a chance to really like get back into racing properly. They're not having to think about conserving tires or fuel or anything like that, right? They can just get in and and hard race. That's what I love. Old school racing. What I am finding kind of difficult to understand is why Dorna replaced Moto2 and Moto3 warm-up on a Sunday with a fan parade. Um, I'm not sure I completely agree. I know at some of the events, they'll have the riders go around the track before the race in a car, and I think that's fine, but I feel like Moto2 and 3 should still be given a chance to see what the track's like for that particular day. So from a safety level, I don't necessarily agree with that. But then back to MotoGP, um, with regards to this season, it's been interesting, hasn't it? The injuries that were sustained so early on didn't, I, yeah, that didn't sit well with me. I felt like oh, maybe they were starting to head in the wrong direction with how competitive they are trying to get the bikes and the show that they're trying to put on. Um, awesome to see that Peko and the Ducatis, let's be honest, they've all been so consistently good. And I like that. I like when you see a rider get into a flow, like Jorge Martin last weekend, get into that flow. They're just so consistent. They're on point. I love that we're getting to see that style of things. But I do wish we had a little bit closer uh, racing and competitiveness between the manufacturers. In saying that, though, I do I do appreciate that some circuits are going to suit manufacturers more than others. Right, that's yeah. just clear, and that that is racing. But it is almost heartbreaking to see the Hondas and the Yamahas always consistently down the back of the field. I wish we were seeing more, but that's what it was like for Yamaha and Honda when they were dominating, and Ducati was back down the field. It's a circle, right? So. Yeah. Cut a long story short, what I'm trying to say here is love the sprint races. Absolutely love the sprint races. Think they're awesome. Um, don't necessarily like the injuries that we've sustained this year, but that is racing. As a whole, though, it's been exciting. The first the first um, few races were a little bit eh, and then as we got closer to the summer break and then after the summer break, things have changed again. So it's making the championship more interesting. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I... <laughs> Yeah, a couple of points there, actually. I mean, sprint races as a whole, everyone has their opinion on. 
bought the Moto 3 and Moto 2 warm-up. I couldn't speak more from the same page on, on that front. I don't understand why you would take that away for a fan parade. I mean, I get the fan parade like you do. I completely understand it. You know, it's trying to basically look over the, the fence and see F1 doing it and think, oh, that's brilliant. I get it. I get it. But why are we sacrificing Moto 3 and Moto 2 for that? I just, for the life of me, I don't understand it. And the whole weekend schedule, I don't understand. Obviously, we now have sprint races, but I just, yeah. The the injuries from the very beginning was very hard to watch. And a lot of it came down to, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And yeah, it was a bit messy, wasn't it? Um, just in general terms. But this year, we've obviously, like you said, we've had the likes of Martin come in and dominate. I think he's, has he had two dominant weekends in the sense of winning both sprint and race i think he won in germany didn't he did he win the sprint in germany i think he did um I think he did yeah yeah so we've had we've had the likes of martin who's just you know i think actually staying at pramac's been the making of him i don't know if you agree but i think him being in an environment that he's comfortable in and being told we're picking somebody else has actually been what he needed i think he needed that and i don't think ducati can turn around and go oh yeah that's that was the plan. Like, you know, we wanted to make him sort of, you know, get that sort of grip between his teeth. I don't think that was what they were going for at all, obviously, otherwise they would have picked him. But Martin this year is looking like a serious threat. We obviously have KTM who have really perked up, which brings me on to my next point. Now, you're Australian. I don't know if your affiliation is with Jack Miller on this, but the KTM situation at the minute, where do you lie with A, what you think will happen and B, what you want to happen? Because to address the elephant in the room, we have Jack Miller, who has a contract. We have Brad Binder, who will be staying at KTM. And we have a gas gas seat that is supposedly there, but we don't know if it is. And we have Pedro Acosta. Thoughts on the whole situation? So, oh, this I've just been thinking about this constantly, all the time, because... I heard these rumors that, you know, they were going to put Jack in a test rider position and um, paying double the salary so Acosta could take his seat. Um, I've read that that's, that's not happening. Okay, so we've cleared that up, but I feel like it's still Jack Miller is moving and I believe Pedro Acosta is going to take his seat at Red Bull KTM. So he stays within the Red Bull KTM family. In saying that, though, I feel like Ducati wouldn't, not Ducati, sorry, KTM wouldn't bring Miller over from Ducati and all the knowledge and everything that he has put into work and build that bike just to kick him onto the sideline. So that's what makes me feel like he's going to end up at Gas Gas. But who is he going to replace there? The way that I think about it is, okay, Paul Espargo had that horrible incident on Friday in Portimao, but he came back from that after the halfway through the year so he hasn't even really had a full year on this bike yet he's he's still getting used to it but he's still crashing a lot so the part of me goes okay he he's gonna stay and they will move Fernandez but then the other thing is Fernandez has finished every race so far this season and Paul hasn't and so he's had more time on the bike he's young and he's up and coming and Paul is not he's he's uh, a veteran in the field right so oh i get so torn up between these two 
I want to say that they're going to keep Paul because I really think Paul is very, very talented as a writer and I can see him doing extremely well there. You know, he's been with Tectoire before. He knows the family feel. But then Fernandez, it's his rookie year. He has finished all the races. Oh, I am so on the fence. I, yeah, I, I don't it's know. It's hard, isn't it? It's very hard. I mean, on top of this, two factors I want to mention is KTM have currently got a reputation for firing rookies. You do not want to keep that reputation up because then ultimately you do not attract anyone to that team unless you're established. Also, with Jack Miller, it you can think it's not a factor, but it's definitely in the thought process. He has literally, as of yesterday, became a father. So... If the deal is to take a step back for a year with a definite the following year after, maybe that appeals to him. But at the same time, I feel like if that appealed to him, I think he would have just stepped aside the minute go. I don't, you know, I don't. I think it's a factor, but I don't think it's a, you know, a, a, a difference between him sacking off the whole paddock and you know doing that. But like you say, with Paul Spargo. Obviously, he's been unlucky, but he's 32 now, Paul, I think. He's 32. Augusto Fernandez is, off the top of my head, I think he's like 23, 24, something like that. You've got their eight years difference on a on a bike that yet last year was nowhere. This year looks okay, looks pretty good for a satellite team. And you've got Augusto Fernandez... You know, from time to time, putting it where it definitely shouldn't be, even in you know relevant terms to what the bike is. So as harsh as it is, do you put Paul Spargaro in that that test rider sort of role at the age and the experience that he has, and you know, kind of terminate that contract and move into one side? I personally think that's the best option. Obviously, five doesn't go into four, so they don't have an option to keep everybody happy, but. I do sit there and think at the time that we're at now, the injuries that Paul sustained, and again, I would I would not want to take it away from him to not be able to fight for his place, but unfortunately, this is a results-based business. And even if you have no results to go off of, sadly enough, you know, the time is now. And Pedro Costa, he's not I'm sorry, but I don't see a world where he goes to Gas Gas, because if he did go to Gas Gas, I think it would have already been signed. So I think Jack Miller moves to Gas Gas, as you said. Um, and Paulus Bargro, I think, would be fantastic as a test rider. Um, but I almost think he's too talented to be a test rider. It's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult in it that is. sense. I feel like now with the way that the championship's going and the amount of injuries that are being sustained, I feel like they need to have faster test riders. I've said it before, and I know that a lot of the riders in the paddock disagree with it they don't want to have replacement riders in the background but I feel like people like Jonas Folger and Stefan Bradl they're good but look they're not Danny Pedrosa look what he did last weekend and he's a he's a test rider and he's like 40 so I feel like to put Paul in that position when you mentioned that before I go well if if Jack Miller or any any four of those riders is injured Paul can step in he can ride that bike and we know that he can do pretty well on it. And he's going to be lapping a lot quicker than who they currently have. Yeah. 
I, it's just I, I had to bring up the point because we're currently recording this and this will go out pre-India GP. We don't have any news on it. And as we said before recording, we will probably put this episode out and it will be announced. And this whole segment will be completely pointless. Um, but with that being said, it's it's just, as I said, five don't go into four. And currently there's almost like this hot potato, it feels like, in the paddock that everyone's just chucking around. No one wants to answer it. No one wants to talk about it. But do you think, not this, this is not the hot potato, but moving on to the point of Pedro Costa, do you think he will be what he is deemed to be in MotoGP? Do you trust in the value of Pedro Costa? Do you believe in the stock value of Pedro Costa? Do you think he could be the next Mark Marquez? Yeah, I think I, I do. I think he's got the drive and the hunger and the talent. He's got the backing behind him. I genuinely do because it's it's just like Mark. It's that same progression that's happening, right? We I, don't I, see I, that yeah. that often. I'm with you on it. I, I look at somebody who's so charismatic at such a young age, such a great race IQ, great race craft, so adaptable, and the pressure never, ever gets to him. And I just look at that and I'm like, that's Mark Marquez. That is what Mark Marquez was 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. Like, you could throw anything at him and he would bat it away. So charismatic as well. And it would just like, yeah. It's it's transferable in Pedro Acosta, and I'm glad that you see it the same way I do because I don't see a world where Pedro Acosta doesn't. I'm not saying dominate like Mark. That's a that's a hard and very bold thing to say, but I find it hard to believe Pedro Acosta not winning a world title at the very 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 top, and that is bold already to say. But I don't I don't not see it. Do you? I don't I don't I don't know. I don't see a world where he doesn't. Get at least one. I agree. No, I definitely agree. I think he's coming into it with the full backing and a bike that's definitely on its way um, to be to being title ship contender. So for him to step on that, have that team, have that support there, you know, the riders that are currently in there, it's going to keep changing. So his time's going to come eventually. But yeah, I agree with you. He's not going to go out there and blitz it and win next year's World Championship. No, no, no. But in a few years, once he gets that next level he needs to get to, then for sure, I definitely see him holding the crown. Yeah, I agree. But never say never. Never say never. I mean, we all said that when Mark Marquez came into the paddock. Everyone was like, yeah, he's good. But I don't... This year, that's... No. And 2013, he did pretty well. So, you know, never say never. Never say never. Well, we speaking... don't know what... Go on. I was going to say, speaking of Mark Marquez, I want to ask you your opinion on, like, the whole Marquez drama. And I know you're probably going to ask me that, but I'm like, I want to know what you think because I... everything I keep reading, I'm like, oh, my God, just make a decision. <laughs> I think, and I've spoken to every single person I know within MotoGP about this topic uh, probably 8,000 times. Um, I'm in two minds, really. I look at it from a Mark Marquez point of view and go, if I am not staying there after 2024 and I can afford to get out of there for 2024, then why would I stay? You know, if the intention is not to stay long term, why stay there next year? You know, move on, fresh start, 
you save yourself a year. He's not, you know, he's not a spring chicken. He's not 16, 17. Um, so I look at it from that point of view and say, okay, well, in that regard, you go to Grassini. But then I also look at it in a sense of, you know, it's Honda. There's a lot of, you know, it, it, it's not like he's going from, like in Pedro Acosta's situation, like you know he's going to GP and everyone when Denis Onchu and Celestino Vietti got announced was like, oh my God, it's definite that Pedro Acosta is going to Moto2. It's like, it, it was definite he was going to Moto2, his GP. You know what I mean, he's, he's definitely going there. With Mark, you have such an affiliation with a brand and you've marketed yourself with that brand ever since you went onto the world stage to a degree of, you know, international notoriety. He is known with Honda. It's very, very easy for people to go, go to Cressini, just move. Like, yeah, that is, that is doable. But that's not the same. It's not the same as just moving from, you know, a couple of years. Like, with all due respect, it's not the same as, let's say, Max Biaggi when he went from Honda to uh, Yamaha to Honda. Like, okay, yeah, he's associated with Yamaha and he's won races with Yamaha. But when you've won six world titles with a brand at the very, very top and you are, you know, every brand around the world that looks at Honda associates it with, with, with Mark Marquez and everybody and their dog knows Mark Marquez as Honda, it's very easy to say step to one side. But if Honda bring a slight improvement and he's sold the dream, does he believe it? I don't think he does. That's the thing for me. I don't. I feel like he's already got it cemented. When you hear him talk, he's not... You know, we're talking about a guy, and Elisa made this point in the last episode, and it's a great point to make. He's the only person in the paddock that could talk about uncertainty of the next year when he has a contract. He has a contract for next year. He's the only person that can sit here and say, I don't know what I'm doing for next year. And everyone go, we don't know what he's doing for next year. You know, it's like Jack Miller could say, I don't know what I'm doing for next year. And obviously it's a bit of a different scenario with Pedro Acosta, but you know, he's probably going to be in the paddock. Like, you know, it's, it's a bit different. Contracts are meant to be, contracts but they're not always gone by for certainty but in a sense of you know with mark he has a contract with the biggest brand in moto gp it's the biggest the biggest manufacturer by a long shot he gets paid a lot of money by this manufacturer the bonuses are ridiculous etc etc and he's talking about next year like he, he's a free agent that is bizarre. That is bizarre in itself. So to talk like that, Honda, obviously, the HRC management will not like that at all, hearing him talk like that. But the power is in Mark's hands, sadly, for Honda. It's not in Honda's hands. So when you talk like that and you have the demeanor that Mark does, again, he could stay for next year, but I think the, the writing's already on the wall. I think... I think he will go. Long, long answer to what you said, but I think he will go. I think he will move for 2024. I think a little bit different. I go, okay, I like what you said and I do agree. What if 
they're playing on this. Honda have had such bad press and PR this whole season. What if they're like, let's take the championship, um, all the talk about Peko winning and going to be that. Let's put it all on us. So, yeah, Ducati is smashing the championship, but it's all about Mark and what Mark's doing. Even the other day, um, uh, HRC Repsol posted on Twitter and it's like, stay tuned for 2 p.m. And all the replies are like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So I think, are they maybe playing on this a little bit? Are they ex extending it? But then when you say about Mark's comments and you watch his reports and everything like that, I can see that he he clearly is frustrated. But I wonder if there's a little something there. The yeah. other thing that I think of – oh, sorry, no, you go. No, no, go on, go on, go on. I'll let you finish your point. No, I, I, um, I think about Mark changing manufacturers, and then I often think about when Valentino went from Honda to Yamaha, right? But he went to develop the bike, he didn't just go to jump on this bike, which just happened to obviously eventually win more world championships. I feel like with Mark, that's not his mindset. He is just there to win. So if he's going to change manufacturers, he's going to be wanting to get out full gas. Let's get back to the front and, and try and be on the top set of the podium every weekend. But he would be going to a privateer team, Grissini or Pramac, right? There's only one of those two seats available. Now with Pramac, Zarko was there as like a test style rider. He was still developing things where Martin is more the racer. So I don't essentially think that Pramac are going to want to have two races there. And then to put him on Grissini, which is even the next level down with the privateer bike, I think I like the idea of having the Marquez brothers together. I think from a, a marketing standpoint, beautiful. But but then I go for Alex. He's just going to get pushed aside again back to the second rider where now he is, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's rider number one with the way that DG's been going this year. Yeah, but you say that. You say that. But on that point, doesn't I mean, Alex is kind of, without sounding like I'm playing Alex Marquez down, who's a two-time world champion, I look at Alex Marquez and I'm like, he knows that when when you're talking about Marquez, he knows that Mark is the main the main guy. Does he not look at that from a point of view of, well, then if Mark moves to let's say Ducati, does Mark have? I will move to Factory Ducati. Let's say two. Let's say Mark does a year on Grassini and Factory Ducati go. We need him on the Factory bike. Let's just say, for argument's sake, they're like, we need him on the Factory bike. Does Mark then not have power with going? I will. If Alex gets the Pramac seat, you know, because we've seen that before in other regards to other riders, let's say like Ralph Fernandez, when he was moving to KTM, said, OK, I'll make the step if Adrian gets a ride with the IO team in Moto or Tech 3 team in Moto 3. This happens and Mark will 100% be thinking that in that regard. Like, so does Alex have security with Mark moving with him? You know, that's another that's way point. to look at it. But. Say if next year, uh, end of 2024, we're talking about the 25 season, Bastianini is being replaced and Marco Betzecchi has been promised this factory bike and then Mark Marquez all of a sudden comes to Ducati and they're just going to pop him in. Or then what happens to Betzecchi, who is literally fighting for the world championship as we speak? 
Yeah. Is he this, just going to get is, segregated again? This is what we were saying. Like, you know, it's it's all well and good putting Mark in that position. But unless you, you know, say to him, you can go to Grassini, you know, the, the, the ride's there. You will not get a factory seat. That's a very bold thing to come out and say. And that's not something you do to riders. So unless that's the obvious move of being like, that's all well and good. But, you know, internally, we are not giving him a factory ride. Because if you do... And if it turns around where you cannot deny Mark Marquez a factory ride at, at Ducati, Bastianini, Martin, Bezecchi all turn around and go, no, that's enough for me, and look elsewhere. Because they know that they're not they're not important. They know that they've been, like you've just said, he just gets popped in and it's like, ta-da, Mark Marquez has moved to the top of the list. You can't do that. You can't. You can't do it. Not Not when you've got how many fingers and different pies that Ducati have at the minute? Like when you have that system of riders that you're all building up and they're all, like you said earlier, they're all competitive. They're all at the top and you pop a rider in and all of a sudden he just goes straight to the top of the pile. You can't do it. You can't like long-term that is going to ruin so many relationships within Ducati. It would almost be too good to be true. And then all of a sudden it would be a disaster. It, I, I think it would be a disaster. So unless Mark Marquez is made aware, the ride is there, the ride is available, but you will not sadly get a factory seat come what may. If Mark's happy with that, then cool. I think we're all good with that. But people, are, you're not telling me, Mark, as soon as he gets his foot in the door, he's not going to think it would be quite good if I was on the factory bike. Imagine it would get thrown around, wouldn't it? As though, what would he be able to do on the factory bike? Mark versus Pekka. And, it, you know, Mark knows the media will do that. The media will do that in itself. He doesn't need to push that. But that question will get thrown around. So it's very interesting with Mark. It is very, very, very interesting. I mean, he he is up there with riders, you know, your, your Casey Stoners, your Rossies of the world that... Only these riders have this kind of power. Um, and it's not like Mark's throwing his power around. At the end of the day, this guy has risked his life the last three years to get P15. You know, it's, it's, his, his life is on the line like everybody else's is every week. But this guy has been through the tumble dryer and been spat off more times than any. You know, and it's just why keep risking it? Ultimately, when it, when it comes down to life and, you know, outside of racing why if he doesn't have to if the option is carry on next year and the bike is exactly the same and the only other option is stop stop in my opinion just stop take a year out maybe something comes up a year after do that but i i if the bike is the same in my opinion whether it's ducati at grassini whether it's pramac like you say good point to bring up i, I think it's more leading towards grassini because of alex but if the only option, let's say at the end of the year, realistically is stop or stay on a bike that hasn't changed, I'm sorry, you're Mark Marquez. You don't need to do it. Just but it's Mark Marquez. I know, you but... just said it. It's Mark Marquez. Yeah, He's it is a Mark racer. Marquez. But imagine, imagine if, uh, what is he now, Mark? 30. Imagine at 30 years old, you'll be 31 when the next year starts, having had four seasons and it getting worse, and it just... it Then he's had three years, two, really, two seasons 
trailing round at the back. It's Mark Marquez. The the it, the Mark Marquez thing goes both ways. You know, it goes ways in the sense of you can't have, you can't not have Mark Marquez, but it goes in a way of you can't have Mark Marquez trailing around in P fifteen. You can't. You cannot have a rider that talented who is on a knife edge of career ending or P fifteen. That can't happen, can it? You know that that can't happen. No. We can't have that. It can't, but just while you were talking then, I just had this this idea. What if he ended up staying with Honda for next season and then the year after he replaces Binder at KTM? Uh, Marquez, Acosta, KTM. Yeah. Has Jack Miller on the, the gas gas, say Binder goes there. Maybe by that time, KTM will bring their third team in that they're wanting to for is it Husqvarna that they're trying to bring in? Um, that's yeah, it's definitely a thought. It's definitely a thought. Um, I'll tell you what, that is something to bear in mind because that's like 2025, maybe 2026. My question <laughs> is, is if Mark goes, who takes the Repsol Honda seat? Because that is literally the most accredited seat in all of motorbike racing, hands down. Like, and I'm saying that with my blue cap firmly on. The Repsol Honda seat is the most accredited seat in the paddock, hands down. Who takes the seat? Who takes it? Zarco? Does Zarco automatically get promoted on up? Does. Oh, Ika Lekawona. Yeah, I was going to say, does Ico Laquona, does he take that seat? I mean, is he the answer? I don't know. But I, I, again, th this is this is where we're at. I mean, obviously, we've had we've had Renita on today, right? For, for the listeners who are still tuned in, God forbid, if you're actually still listening to this. Um, but no, if, you, if you're still here at this point, the point is, is obviously, you know, We've spoke about Renita. We spoke about the, the the ins and outs of what we do and how we got into it, this and the other. But we are at a point now where every time we go to record, it's almost like this this ticking time bomb is just ready to just go off. Like we feel like the minute the first of these Pedro Costa or Mark Marquez rumors become almost confirmed, the GP paddock is just going to blow up. Like that's what I feel like. And it's just hard to not mention it. I, I could not have had you on today, Renita, and just breezed past the Mark Marquez thing or breezed past Pedro Costa because we are we are sitting on time. Yeah, I 100%, 100% agree. And, like, I'm fine to chat with it. Listeners at home, you want to hear about this, don't you? So if you have an opinion on it, you should definitely send it to the guys at the Red Sector because... We want to know what you think as well. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I, I pray, and I, I, I'm i not a religious guy, but I am praying to any God out there, please, please do not sign any contract in between us recording this and it going out, please. Like, if Mark Marquez is announced at Grassini or Pedro Acosta, I mean, obviously Mark won't be announced because he still said he's going to make up his decision, but Pedro Costa, I feel like that is that is brewing. That is, if that takes any longer than October, I'll be amazed. Really, um, Pedro Costa feels like it's it's due to happen the next two weeks. I would say, um, 
So yeah, it's it's a very difficult one, but um, we're gonna <clears throat> we're gonna tail off um, towards the end of this episode. And Renita, I'm gonna ask you, and this again, it completely off the cuff. I didn't want to set too much of a structure for this episode because I feel like when it's so structured, when you have a guest on, you almost get these regimented answers that you kind of, as a guest, want to say. Whereas when you get asked, like I've asked you today, you just got to come up with it and you've got to fire it away and you've just got to say what's on your mind. So I want from you the, you're on a desert island and you've got to pick three people that through your time of in paddocks, when you've been, you know, going around with Chris and whether it be content creation or whatever it is, you've got to pick three people that you're on a GP desert island with. And yeah, it could be riders, it could be crew chiefs it could be whoever who is your gp desert island three who who is your who's your squad who you having like am i on this i gotta have some backstory bono so am i on this <laughs> island and they're like here to help me get off the island or we're just all stuck you're, there you're on it for a year you're on it for a year and you don't find out any pedro costa news in the meantime maybe there's oh a backstory <laughs> to why you will pick i don't know you could pick james toesland for all i know i have no idea who's your who's your three i'm, um, I'm hoping for some story here i hope you don't go generic I hope you're not like mark marquez rossi and stoner yeah okay <laughs> hey, i'm just gonna <laughs> i'm gonna have to like tell everybody i am like one of the biggest mark marquez fans ever but that's like I'm not gonna say it because that is cliche, but I just wanted to let you all know. And I don't really talk about it that often, but I really am. Look, I even I even have this. My brother got me this a hat signed by Mark Marquez. I got it for Christmas one year. Um <laughs> so if I was stuck on a desert island and I had to pick some people from the paddock, okay. Well, some of my closest friends work in the paddock they um are team coordinators and press officers so i'm gonna say claudia and laura claudia from the mt helmets team and laura from the ktm ao i'm gonna grab those girls because i love them um but from here anybody else in the paddock i'd love to say um, i feel like the next person you're gonna pick is gonna be the person that like not the laughing stock but almost the person that just makes this island just it do you know what i mean i feel like you've got you've got your friends you've got a trio of friends this last person's got to be crucial like you can't just have yeah. you can't just pick three friends you, you've got to pick somebody that's like you know it's got to be a statement a statement person oh and then when you said that you know i thought of is um um jake dixon because i know his <laughs> wife <laughs> And I was like, I'll just take them along as well. Sarah would. Along, Sarah might thank you for that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, but look, that, that's the three people. If I was to pick a bit more seriously, I would go my brother's um, crew chief at Suzuki, Tom. He was awesome. He is so smart. Um, he, my brother's um, data engineer, Penny. Once again, this just this incredible guy, the stuff that he used to do. He now, so Tom now works with Fabio in Yamaha and Penny works in um, Aprilia. And if I was to pick um, somebody else from the panic, I'm just going to say growing up, back when my brother was in World Superbikes, um, his 
counterpart in World Supersport was a French rider named Sebastian Charpentier. I don't know if you remember oh, that I know name. The name. Yeah, yeah, Throwing yeah. I know the name. That was biggest fan of Sebastian. I'm just going to throw him in there. I thought he was awesome. So seven-year-old me would be very happy. <laughs> a Frenchman on a desert island could could cause for a great, great time. Um, <laughs> that's a great, you know what, that's a good, good two, I think, when you pick one that like, you know, one that you could probably survive a year with and one that you have no idea if you would actually want to just leave that desert island the minute you got there, but you know for a fact it's going to be a laugh. Yeah, that's a um, that's a solid list. So yeah, that's that's been it. That's been us for um, for today, Renita. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a blast. We've had a uh, we've had a good natter about pretty much everything, haven't we? I suppose we've we've covered all ground. Um, yeah, you can, as I said at the beginning, we'll we'll plug we'll plug the rest of our socials. So for us at Red Sector GP on all socials, we have our link tree on there, so you can access all of our personal ads and all of our discords and various other things all through our link tree click that link and get following on that be sure to leave us a like and a review on whatever audio platform you're listening to and renita take it away on your socials again just so everybody knows yep so it's at renita vermulen on pretty much everything youtube tiktok instagram and facebook cool and yeah as i said that's been us this will be going out just before the india gp so be sure to tune in for that and we'll be back with our race review the following Tuesday, I believe. But yeah, that's been us. That's been me. That's been Renita. And with that, keep the throttle pinned. <laughs>